Section number 35 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Henry Niemark. How Mr. Terrapin Lost His Plumage and Whistle by Anne Virginia Culbertson. Well, said Janey, as Aunt Frony finished telling of the loss of Mr. Terrapin's beard, I saw a terrapin the other day, and it didn't look as though it had ever had had a beard or waddle. I thought it was real ugly. Lord, child, answered the storyteller, you can't tell what one of these year creatures been in the times past just by looking at em now. Why the days been when old man Tarpin was plumb handsome? He done been trick at a moan just as beard and waddles, I can tell you. Oh, please do tell us, cried Janey. Little Kit came and leaned on her knees and looked up into her face and echoed, Yes, please tell us. Thus besieged, Aunt Frony consented to tell how the terrapin lost his plumage and his whistle. I done told you, said she, Tarbin was once the handsome man, and that is shown of truth, for he had nice soft feathers all over his body and a fine big spreadin' tail, and his eyes was mighty bright, and his voice was the clearest whistle you ever heard. He was a great man in them days, I tell you that, and his house was chock full of all sorts of fine fixins. He had soft furs to set on, and long strings of shares for money, and clothes all embroidered with dyed porcupine quills, and he had spears, and bows, and arrows, and deer horns, and I don't know what, what all sides in that. In dem days, the quail was a homely, no-count creature with scarcely any feathers and a short, stumpy tail and no voice worth speaking of. He was poor, too, and nobody took much notice of him. Just call him that old, old Bob White, and he'd go wandering up and down the country all by his lonesome. One day he come long past Mr. Tarpin's house, and he peek in through the door, and, he, and when, he, when he see all the fine doings, seem like he can't take his eye away from the crack. Then he see Tarpin coming down the road home, and he loaded himself. He did that dish yet, the handsomest man what he ever seed, and he'd be perfectly satisfied if he could look just like that. He'd get more and more enviable of him, and tucked to hanging round the neighborhood, peeking and peering in at Tarpin whenever he get the chance. Last he says to himself that he just naturally bleeds to have them feathers and tail and whistle, but he ain't knowin' just how to get em, so, so he glong off to the axe to help of a wise old wolf while I live way, way up on the mountain and while I was one of them conjurers I done told you about. As he went long, he was fixin' up a tale to tell Wolf, and when he get to the cave where the conjurer live, he knock and Wolf spawn. Come in, in such a deep growly voice that Lil Quail felt kind of scary, and he felt more scary yet when he go hopping in and see Wolf sitting there with bones strolling all around him and showing them long white tooths of his every time he opened his mouth. But he perched himself up in front of the wolf, and he said in a voice that was right trembly, Howdy, Uncle Wolf, howdy. I done comed all the way up, up yet to, to, to ax your help, cause I knows there ain't no, no man on this mountain what knows half as much what you does. Please, sir, tell me what to do. Bob White, you is a little old fool, says Wolf, says he. How can I tell you what to do when you ain't told me what it is you wants? 
stand quail. He get little more prepared, and he try to make Wolf feel pleased. So he say, Laws a mercy, Uncle Wolf. I don't forget that, but I, I reckon I do so because you is that smart. I thought you might know without me telling. Drap that foolishness, says Wolf, says he, and let me know what you come, daughter. But all the same, he wasn't too smart and too old to feel pleased with the flattery. Show me the man what all is, and lots of em gets catched by that. Nothing more, no less. And here Aunt Frony cast a scornful glance at Nancy, who answered it by a toss of her head. Well then, she resumed. Quail start into the meanness he been hatching up, and he says to see Uncle Wolf, there's a man down there below while getting to be dangerous, and he's rich, good-looking, and a great shift, and a shown of fighter, and he could do about what he pleased with the creatures. A man like that bound to work mischief. Now, sir, if you say so, appears to me it'd be a mighty good notion to take away his good look while he uses to suede people with, and give em to some of the quiet and peaceable folks, while ain't all the time sticking themselves to the front and trying to lead the people. Now, your eye is, uh, you've been knowing me this good while, and you knows my nobility and submissity, and if you make me the one to do the deed, and then give me the fixings for my trouble, I quite feel I, I can't very well refuge him. Right there, he put his head on one side and looked up at Wolf mighty meek and innocent. Wolf, he said he gwine think about it, and he tell Quail to come back in seven days and get the answer. So Quail, he go hippity-hopping down the mountains, thinking he been mighty small, and wondering if he can stand here to wait seven more days before he robbed Paul Tarpin. Wolf, he went off high yet, to the top of the mountain for the act opinion of seven other wolves, uh, more older and wiser than what he was. They talked and they disputed together for seven days and nights. Then Wolf came back, and Quail man has up to see him again. He, he say, Quail must go to the Tarpon's house at midnight, and do just like he tell him to, or it'd be worse for him instead of better. Quail listened, and say he gwine do just like he tell him, and with that he glong off. Just at the stroke of midnight, when the bats was a-flying, and the squinch owls hootin', and the, the jack in my lanterns travelin' up and down, he knock on Mr. Tarpin's door, and gin out that he was a traveller, while come to fur ways and was powerful tired and hungry. Tarpin was a kind man, so he invited him in, and gin him something to eat and drink, and made him sit down on the soft fuss, cause he felt sorry for any person so poor and ugly as what that quail was. Then he said, You must be tired after your journey, and let me rub you a while. He rubbed the ugly rough creature for so long time, and then Quail says, says he, You sonny is kind, but I ain't want to tire you out. I is rested now, so, so please, sir, to let me rub you a little. He rubbed and he rubbed Tarpin with one hand, and all the time he was rubbing himself with the other. That way he rubbed all the feathers off of Tarpin onto his own self. Then he rubbed down Tarpin's tail twelve twan, nothing but a little round sharp pointed stump, and at the same time he was rubbing his own tail with the other hand, and putting Tarpin's fine spreading tail onto his own little stump. It was plumb dark, so Mr. Tarpin ain't see what been done, and besides night he was powerful sleepy from the rubbing. Then Quay say he bleached to lay down, cause he must get him a early start in the morning. Before sun-up he was stunned, and he says he must be getting along. Tarbin go to the door with him, and 
Then Quail says, says he, Mr. Tobin, I hear you has a monstrous fine whistle. I like mighty well to hear it before I go. Why, Sonny, says the Tobin, says he, and with that he whistled long and loud. Quail listened at him with all his ears, and then he say, Well, dog my cats if I ain't beat. Your voice is the prezact match of mine. You don't say so. Let me hear you whistle, says Tobin, says he. That I will, says Quail. But let me go off little ways and show you how fur I can make myself in, says he. So he says so, cause he gettin' mighty feared that Tarpin gwine find out his feathers was gone. So he go way off into the bushes and whistle, and show enough, twas just like Mr. Tarpin's voice. Then Tarpin tried to whistle back, but lo, behold, yeah, his voice clean gone. Nothing left but little hiss, and hit done stay that way clean on twelve this day. Was getting daylight, and he looked down of a sudden. Dar he was, with now a smidgen of a feather on his back. He feel so bad, he go into the house and cry until his eyes was so red that they stayed that away ever since. Then Miss Tarpin, she say, Is you a chief, or is you a old woman? Why ain't you go after that man and get him a lamb basin and get back what belonged to you? He feel kind of shame, so he pulled himself together and God to see what he can do. Before long he find out that the conjurer's been at work, so he knows he's got to have help, and he go and get all to the Tarpins to help him. They went to the old wolf's, the conjurer's, and they says, We's a slow people, and you's a swift people, but never mind that. We does you all to a race, and if you all wins, then you can kill we all. And if we all wins, then you gwine execute you. And if you ain't asked to take up this dad, then everybody gwine know you is cowards. Cause the wolf's tuckin' the jar up, and the hut was greed. The, the race was to be over seven mountain ridges, and that it was to be run twixt one wolf and one top, and the rest to look on. When the day come, old Tarpin, he took uh, and fix up this trick. <laughs> he get six other Tarpins while look just like him, and he hide one away in the bush on top of each of the six mountains, and he hide himself away on top of the seven. Just before a wolf get to the top of the first mountain, the Tarpin, while was hiding, the crawl out the brush and get to the top first and get a whoop and went over a little ways and hid in the brush again. Wolf think that mighty curious, but he keeps on, and was just so at every one and at the last ridge cause Tarpin just walk itself out in the brush and get a great whoop to let everybody know he done won the race. Then the Tarpins make up their minds to kill the wolves by fire. So they pen them all up in a big cave on a mountain and they bring brush and wood and pile in front of it, a pile most as high as the mountain, and then they set fire to it and the wolves howl. And the fire hit spit and sputter, and hit and crack and roar, and all the creatures on the mountain set up a big cry, and run this way, and that to get out of the fire. They was plumb distracted, and hit sound like all the wild beasts in creation was turned loose, and trying which can yell the loudest. But the Tarpons just drawed into their shells, and sought the safe and sound, and watched the fire burn, and the smoke and the flame rolling into the cave. The wolves they howled, and they howled, and they howled, and the little ones they cried, and they cried, and they cried, and last the old ones felt so bad about the children that they gone to kill em off, so they ain't suffer no more. When the Tarpins see that, they were sorry, and they make up their minds to let the rest off. So they turned them loose from the cave.
but lots of them had died in her, and dad her come down so many wolves now as they used to be. Some was nearer to the fire than t'others and got swinged, and some got smoked black, and that's why on twelve this day some wolves is black, and some gray, and some white, and some has longer bushy tails than others. They got so hoarse with all that crying that the voices been nothing but a howl ever since. Quail, he hear what gwine on, and he tuckin' himself out in that country fast as legs could carry him, so Toppin never got back uh, the feathers nor the whistle, and if you goes out into the field most any day, you can see Quail gwine round in the stolen feathers, and you hear him whistle. Bob White, do right, do right, do right, do right, Bob White, just as sassy as if he'd been doing right all his days, and as if he had been raised with that voice instead of stealing it way from old man Tarpin. End of How Mr. Terrapin Lost His Plumage and Whistle Recording by Henry Nemark.